and welcome to the Riff Raff podcast, hosted by Amy Baker and Rosie Edwards. We set up the Riff Raff to champion the work of debut authors and to provide guidance and support for those dreaming of one day being published themselves. Today we're talking to Emily Critchley, author of Notes on My Family. We discuss putting yourself in the shoes of a younger protagonist, allowing your characters the time and space to tell you who they are, and the responsibility that comes with being a YA author. It's 7pm and we're sitting around the dinner table. There's me, my brother, my sister and my mum and dad. I'm the youngest. My dad likes us to eat together in the evenings so we can catch up and talk about our days. We're eating chicken Kievs with new potatoes, carrots and peas. I have extra carrots as it's a Tuesday and Tuesdays are a good day for orange foods. I don't have any potatoes as I don't eat starch and protein together. The chicken Kievs are pre-made. Mum doesn't cook much. To her, this is cooking. There's five of us, and because you have to buy the chicken Kievs in twos, there's one left over. It sits on a plate in the middle of the table. We're already eyeing it up. Probably my mum will offer it to my dad, who will either give it to my sister because she's his favourite, or he'll suggest my brother and sister split it because my brother's a little skinny and he needs the sustenance. Either way, it's unlikely I'll get it. I'm the smallest, and the youngest, and a girl, so it's assumed I don't need a second chicken Kiev, or even a half, even though I don't have any potatoes. We're eating in the kitchen. It used to be the garden, until my parents had the extension built two years ago. Before that we had a smaller kitchen and ate at a dining table at the back of the living room. Now we have a big kitchen, all fake oak cabinets painted green, with a large square table in the middle. There's a new television that hangs on the wall in the corner by the kitchen doors that open out into the garden that's now slightly smaller because the kitchen's bigger. I waited ten years for this kitchen, my mum always says when anyone comes to the house for the first time. We've lived in the house 13 and a half years, exactly the same amount of time that I've been alive. We moved when Mikey was two, so he doesn't remember the old house, but Sarah does. We call Michael Mikey. Dad still calls him Michael, or Mike, because he thinks it's more masculine. He's never said this, but I know that's why. Mum was the one who first called him Mikey. Most of the time Dad forgets and calls him Mikey too. My mum had my brother and sister close together. She was very happy to have a girl and a boy. It's what she'd always wanted. Only then I came along. I was a happy accident, which is what Mum said when I asked her why they decided to have me as well. Hi, Emily, and welcome to the Riff Raff podcast. Hello. We're so grateful that you are here. Um, Could you start by telling uh, those of our listeners who've yet to read your book, Notes on My Family, what it's about? Yes, so Notes on My Family is um, a story told by 13-year-old Lou. Um, So she lives at home with her parents, Eric and Gwen, her 17-year-old sister Sarah and her 15-year-old brother Mikey. And um, Lou is um, quite quirky. She's kind of an oddball teenager. Her hobbies include watching trains and uh, David Attenborough documentaries. And the novel opens um, with her family, with her parents announcing divorce. And so sort of from there, chaos ensues, really. Yeah, it's such a great opener. It's quite, it's quite almost shocking. Thank you. Because you don't, although Lou is very funny about how she suspects they're going to get divorced. And I think every 13 year old is when their parents say we need to discuss something. I think every 13 year old is like, are you getting divorced? Yeah. And then they actually are. (laughs) Um, Which doesn't sound funny, but it is very funny. I loved Lou instantly. And you, you described her as quirky. I've read lots of descriptions of her. Quirky is one, an outsider is another. Mm -hmm. She is in fact on the autistic spectrum. Is that correct to say? Or is I that think, not how you wrote her? I think she possibly is. It um, 
it's obviously never made apparent in the novel that she has a, a diagnosis, but I think she would probably fall somewhere on the spectrum, although it is a very wide spectrum. It is, yeah. I think they say we're all on there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about that because it's it's a trend that we're seeing more and more about having narrators who either have a slightly different perspective on the world or who are, in the case of things like Curious Instant, mm-hmm. um, do have a diagnosis of autism mm-hmm. or Asperger's. or, And that's a really interesting trend that we're starting to see. Why do you think it is that people are so interested in reading books from the perspective, uh, from a different perspective than sort of a neurotypical one? Mm-hmm. I think somebody um, on the autistic spectrum does see the world in a slightly different way. And I think um, anybody who's a reader must be interested in, in other people in the way that other people's minds work and, and how the other people see the world. Um, and I think it's also really interesting that we're seeing more of a trend um, of females with Asperger's mm. on the spectrum. We've had some recent memoirs and um, there's been uh, my novel and another recent YA novel with a young girl on the spectrum. Um, and it was thought at, um, at one point that um, the ratio of boys to girls with Asperger's um, was, was much more favourable for boys. We're now realising that actually girls are just going undiagnosed because quite often they're quieter, their symptoms present very differently, their girls are thought of as being shy or um, their hobbies are perhaps um, not so unusual as, as a boy's hobby might be. So I think it's really important that we hear um, more female voices, more voices from girls on the spectrum. Mm. Is that? Do you have a background in that at all? You, you speak very knowledgeably about it. Um, when I um, started writing notes in my family, it I didn't set out to write a book about a girl necessarily on the spectrum, but it became clear to me as her voice developed that she possibly was. So I did do a little bit of research. And, um, and it's quite shocking, actually, how many girls go undiagnosed and then um, are diagnosed later in life, or or are misdiagnosed, are diagnosed perhaps with depression or anxiety, um, or are just seen as um, girls that struggle socially um, when they actually should have an Asperger's diagnosis. Um, and obviously, Lou is thirteen and a half, which is very important. It is. Um, so, um, how like why? How come you chose to to have a protagonist that was thirteen and a half? And how did you um, how did you kind of get into the swing of like finding the right voice for her? Yeah, I think. Um, I knew I wanted to write a novel about a dysfunctional family, first of all. That was my very first premise, sort of a, a family living in the suburbs, quite ordinary, but also quite dysfunctional. And I originally thought, oh, what I'll do is I'll write a book which um, has a chapter from each perspective of the family. And I thought I'll start with the youngest. Yeah, I thought I'll start with the youngest, um, called her Lou. And... Um, and it became really clear to me quite quickly within the first couple of chapters that this was her story and that I should absolutely not take it away from her by going into any of the characters. It was, yeah, it was all about her. So I so I ran with Lou. I love that, like the, the kind of idea that you, like because the grand plan is a really lovely idea, like yep. doing that kind of having those different perspectives, but then just to be like, just to find your character like that and be like, this is the story. Like, yeah. can you can t- maybe talk about that moment? I think, um, I think you have to... Um, you have to listen to the, to the book and the characters and what the book wants. It's not all about you and you're not all in control. And when I sit down to write now, I really try and remind myself of that. I say to myself, you are not in control because mm. I find that whenever I t- try and control things, um, they don't really work out very well or it feels a bit controlled. So I sort of say, you know, okay, speak to me. Um, tell me what you want and who you are. And then the voice starts to come through. Do you do any kind of, sorry, <laughs> I love this. I love this kind of like, 
idea of like because I'm I'm a, I'm a planner traditionally okay but then at the same time like the magic that happens when you're writing you just let yourself kind of like just go with it and kind of like listen to whatever that kind of mm-hmm. voice is mm-hmm. do you, sometimes we've spoken to writers who have kind of very specific exercises to kind of you know like some people um kind of would write about their like Fatima Fahin Mirza she would write a sort of scenarios for the put her characters in certain scenarios and just kind of see what happened but it wasn't really anything that went into the book okay and I wonder whether you did anything similar to that to kind of you know, feel it, feel yeah. it out a bit. Um, I, I don't tend to do that, although I do think it's a great idea. I've heard about sort of, you know, writing a letter to your character mm. or even trying to write from a different character's perspective. I don't tend to do that. Um, and Notes of My Family was a book that I did write in a very linear kind of way, just went straight through, um, which was good for me. No, I, I tend to find, I tend to now um, just really, yeah, try and find that voice. I think um, voice is, is really, really important. And then try and, as I say, just let the character tell me where they want to go. And in terms of chill, writing a sort of child's voice, mm. for, what tips would you have for people that are trying to write a kind of like a, a, a believable young person? Yeah, I think... Um, I think you need to read a lot of um, of children's books. Um, obviously, if you have children, you can spend time around. That's great, but not everyone does. I think just reading children's books and just remembering. You can remember a lot about the way that you saw the world as a child, um, even if you're, you know, Notes of My Family is set now. Um, obviously, you know, I, I was a child not quite a long time ago, but I think you can really sort of get back into that time, especially writing um, teenage fiction. Um, remembering what you felt as a teenager, being a teenager is really a sort of a time of first. So, you know, your first kiss or your first cigarette or your first day at school. And I think it's just about remembering what it felt, what those first times felt like. Yeah. It's nice to reminisce. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it's just so you mentioned that Lou's voice and Lou herself just developed mm, rather mm. than you kind of knowing exactly who she was and you had to talk to her a little mm. bit and see what it was that she wanted to say Mm. I sometimes I think that when we feel stuck it's maybe because our characters are stuck somewhere Mm -hmm. and they're trying to work through something and I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about talking to your characters and waiting for them to reply and how that response and sort of feedback process happened for you yeah I think you do have to really let your characters come forward in the writing um, and there is a slight subconscious element to it and I know it all sounds a bit a bit hippie and but it, but I think it, it is really important to um, yeah to listen to your character and in the book that I'm writing at the moment I sort of almost had to apologize to a character last week um, where I felt that I'd sort of given her this trait that um, she wasn't she didn't feel very much for her daughter and um, I suddenly realized and I thought oh gosh actually um you know she has this huge love for her daughter but she's just not able to show it because yeah she's slightly stuck in her life and she's got things going on and and I thought no wonder she's not talking to me or or her dialogue is not working particularly well because I'm sort of putting it in her mouth and she's annoyed with me Mm. so I sort of felt like I need to sit back and and let her just come through a bit um which will happen in the writing which happen when you sit down and you're in that you know that space um, Especially with dialogue as well, mm, I think that's mm. really interesting. What's actually going to come out of the character's mouth? I think yeah. we know if they're in a bad space that they're not going to be moving around very much. They're not going to be super energetic. They're not going to yeah. be jumping out of bed in the morning. But in terms of what they're actually going to say and what they're going to express and what they're going to choose mm. not to, it's so yeah. I suppose it's. Do you find it's very important specifically for that to be listening and to be 
thinking on those two different levels of the writer and sitting back and being the observer. You do, yeah. You almost need to, to say, I'm the writer, so you're in control of so the tone or the voice of the book, um, particularly if it's maybe third person. Um, it can be quite tricky as then you've got sort of secondary characters where you're not in their voice, um, but they still need to talk to you. Um, so, yeah, you, it's important to kind of let them have their moments, I think, even if they're not the main protagonist. And how do you do that? I think um, it's about not trying to control them, really. Just um, you can think about them on a conscious level, but then I, I almost try not to because if, then I start sort of thinking um, too much about them and sort of maybe pigeonholing them rather than letting them lead me where they want to go within the book. That's so fascinating. Yeah, it's so fascinating. I like, I like the idea as well of like that you're not... Um like sort of you're learning about the character like in that kind of interaction where you felt like your character was angry with you mm-hmm. you're uh, you're learning an element of her character that, that you can then work with yeah or and like and work out what you're including what you're not going to include what how she's going to come across to people it's all useful information if you're just kind of willing to pay attention to what you're kind of being yeah. told by them yeah I mean, it's yeah. the magic of writing guys <laughs> it's, 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 it's magic your car oh my god it makes me <laughs> anyway thank you um and because i wanted to pick up on the rest of lou's family because they are just drawn so brilliantly and as we've mentioned it opens with her parents getting divorced mm-hmm. her dad is actually having an affair with one of his students he is, yeah. um, and their mother goes on to have what Lou describes as a short psychotic episode mm-hmm. in which I have to ask she steals clothes from Debenhams and it struck me as very Winona Ryder <laughs> okay. that, was there any from your face I'm sensing there was no parallels no no parallels <laughs> that is interesting it's got a bit of a Winona vibe though yeah <laughs> yeah like that's a, a compliment <laughs> oh I love Winona Ryder <laughs> and she's had such a renaissance in her career as well um, but they you those putting those characters into sort of those slightly far-fetched scenarios mm-hmm. could make the characters almost seem like sort of pastiches mm-hmm. of, of real people but they are very grounded I wonder how you struck the balance between writing a sort of character for sort of comedic effect and mm. we're going to come on to the comedy in the book in a bit um and writing very rounded very authentic characters i think um lou's voice helped a lot she um she's quite deadpan at times and and the comedy um kind of stems from the way that she sees things um and i think i hope that i sort of stayed on the right line of um i mean these things can happen you know it's, um yeah people have episodes people you know stuff happens people have affairs and um I think it was just sort of like yeah a case of staying just on the right side of the line um and not making it too sensational and um and always staying with Lou's voice and thinking how would Lou see this Mm, and there's there is such comedy in because the book is quite poignant as well I should should mention and there's real comedy to be had in that as well was it important for you to kind of add those poignant moments it was important it was important um to me that the reader be left with a sense of hope um especially as um i felt that there might might be teenagers reading the book there might be um people on the spectrum reading the book so it was important that despite the kind of the chaos and the you know some of the the not so happy moments that the reader was left with a sense of hope and that that lou has these sort of moments of epiphany and moments of joy throughout the book um which we all do have Mm -hmm. Do you think that as a why, I know that you didn't start out to write a YA book, I wonder whether you feel that 
as a somebody who has now been published as initially anyway and we'll come on to that as well <laughs> as a YA author that there is more responsibility to because the audience is a little bit more vulnerable is a little bit more suggestible is at a time when they're looking they may be grappling with certain things and they're looking for sort of reassurance do you think there is more responsibility on YA authors I think there is more responsibility yes but I also think you um as a writer, you need to tell your truth. And um, although the book is not autobiographical, um, I didn't have a very good time at school. And there are some um, instances in the book that are, you know, things that sort of happened to me um, at school. And I think it's important that you know I tell my truth and say, yes, this is this is what happened, and it can be like this. And being a teenager is is you know was probably the worst time in my life, and probably is for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It's a time where you're struggling with a lot. Um, so I felt like I did have a responsibility to um, to leave the reader. Um, with hope but also to say yeah it is actually it can be pretty crap at times Mm -hmm. and um, but you know we recognize that and that's okay and you will get through and it's also you know with 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 teenage teenage experiences there's often a tendency what there has been kind of probably with our generation to kind of like you know like to sort of like put aside how impactful those kind of times can be to kind of dismiss their experiences Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. it's good to have kind of like a realistic take on yeah things can be really shit but like but you have to look for the kind of hope in it um, yeah, it's like a yeah, nice, nice thought, yeah, really. Yeah, I think so. I think so. <laughs> and um, and obviously, it is really funny. And did you um, did you set out? Were you, did you think I'm going to write a funny book? I mean, obviously, there's lots of funny. To be no, 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 it terrifies me that I've written a funny book. Actually, <laughs> I think I'm the least funny person. No, I just um, I had her voice, I suppose, and. Um, I also knew uh, that I wanted to write first person and present tense as well. So to have something quite immediate, quite visceral. And I I read a novel that I was quite inspired by um, where she'd done a similar thing, just a sort of quite crazy novel in first person, present tense. Um, It was A.M. Holmes's May We Be Forgiven, which I think won the Women's Prize of Fiction when it was possibly still the Baileys some years ago. And she had just written a novel from the perspective actually of a... um, of a man I think he was in his 40s and said in America so completely different to notes of my family but it was a first person sort of present tense mm. account of um of everyday life just being a bit crazy and I thought oh this is really fun I wonder if I could do this and um had no idea whether I would be able to sustain the narrative or um or how it would turn out but I just thought the ideas seemed fun yeah and how did you how did you find the process of writing that first person present tense how tell us about the challenges and yeah how the kind of process was um yeah I think I I never really knew where I was going with the book um which is just the way I write really I sort of maybe knew occasionally you know one small step ahead like I might have this idea and think oh maybe maybe she might go to a tai chi class or or something like that but um there's a there's a great quote from I think it's E.L. Doctorow and he says something like writing a novel is like driving a car at night um you can only see as far as the headlights but you can you can go the whole trip that way or something like that and I think that rings very true for me when I write I might be a small step ahead but I try not to think too much about um about the end or you know I just sort of I think the most important thing for me is to, in the first draft is just to get the words down really yeah. and then see what you've got I'm interested in the fact that you wrote in a linear fashion because mm-hmm. like that's mm-hmm. um like I mean that seems relatively rare doesn't it for a, quite a lot of authors like a yeah. lot of people seem to have the ending already mm-hmm. kind of figured out yes. so, yeah. so you sat down and you wrote it and did that include kind of going back and drafting 
drafting it again would you like to do did you work on the chapter the first chapter until you made it perfect and then work on the second chapter what was the sorry I'm keep on <laughs> carry on I'm, yeah. I'm just questions. sitting in fascinating yeah I sort of I did a lot of editing as I went um it didn't need a huge structural edit which was good um my agent and I changed a, a few things around sort of the first half of the book but it, it didn't need anything huge so I sort of yeah go back and sometimes in the morning I would look at what I'd written the day before and just go back and give it a bit of an edit and then start again but no I was quite lucky with this one that I wrote it in a in a linear fashion I think every book is its sort of own beast really and you can't expect that um, if I write one like this that the next one's going to necessarily work like that I just try and think as each book as its own sort of individual thing and it tends to tell me what's best and how it's how it wants to be written really. attitude. well I'm so envious because I'm writing a second book on my phone okay. in fits <laughs> okay. and bursts mainly yep. on the tube yeah yeah and it's all coming out in a hodgepodge of ideas and sentences and time frames mm-hmm. and I would kill to be able to sit down each morning and just pick up from where I left off and carry on. That must have been... Did it feel very satisfying? And did you know whilst you were doing it, this is the story I want to be telling, this is the book I want to write? I did, yeah. I knew I was. I felt like her her story was important and um, whatever it was going to be, um, it needed to be told. And um, and yeah, I mean, I'm I'm working on a on a new book at the moment, and it is it is um, I am working on it quite differently to the way that I worked on Notes of My Family, um, which is why I think you just have to yeah accept the fact that every piece of work is going to be slightly different, and you can approach it differently. That's that's such a nice attitude because like I think there's a tendency with writing or with writers to figure out what works for you, Mm. and then kind of like are you a plotter? Are you a planner? Are you uh, like you know you have to get up at this time in the morning? Like everyone's like seems very obsessed with finding the best way to do it I mean which is cool because it means that you improve as you write more (laughs) which is important but like I, I like the idea of just kind of allowing the project to kind of dictate how you work on it a little bit just allows you to kind of enjoy it a bit more it does yeah yeah it does I mean I mean yeah there is obviously something to be said for figuring out when you you know whether you write best at home or in a cafe or what time of day and I do think that's important although um I do think writers should try and learn to write anywhere if you can if you can make a note on your phone as you say or you know I think that's a really good ability to have um she says person who doesn't like to write in cafes and likes to write at home very 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 quiet space but um it is a great thing to do if you can sort of just you know take your laptop around and work anywhere but yeah I tend to um you know even if I'm writing short stories or an essay I tend to just think you know what what does what is what does the piece of work work want you know what is required from this piece of work it's a lovely it really it really is and I think it's very reassuring for anybody listening who thinks I'm doing it wrong because I think yeah. that there is a tendency to think I'm not doing it in the way that published authors have done it and therefore oh, there I won't is. get published. Yeah, there is. I mean, there's a huge emphasis on, um, on on plot and on structure and a lot of writers, I think, have this fear that before they start to write, they have to have worked out every scene and what's going to be in every scene and um, they have to have charts and notepads and, and you really don't. You can just sit down and open a blank document and start with the first sentence mm. and just run with it. I mean, writing is essentially sentence building and if you can just keep getting those sentences down every day your first draft is never going to be amazing it's never going to be publishable but if you have something down you can work with it if you don't if all you have is a graph then you don't have anything to work with what happens if it's a coloured in graph (laughs) (laughs) it's still not sure very like all the revision i've ever done in my life where i spent about a week making the beautiful revision timetable and then didn't do any of it um (laughs) I was going to ask. Um, is that, sorry, um, so, so in sync. I was going to ask. Um, is that, it sounds like you've kind of got quite a good like 
obviously got a good attitude towards it but what's a kind of typical writing day for you do you do you like yeah tell us about the kind of yeah I I prefer to write in the morning I think I've worked out I'm slightly better in the morning um so I will get up and then um I have a little sort of exercise routine and then after that I'll sit down and make a coffee and try and write and I've been I've been getting up quite early actually the last couple of months working on the new book trying to do that so I think the mornings work best for me but I, I think it's really important to just sort of stay in touch with the book so even if say I do have to be somewhere early and I just absolutely don't have time to write I'll try and at least open it and look at it or sometimes I'll try and look at it the night before in some sort of hope that during the night my subconscious might you know pick up on the things that I've just reread of what I wrote that morning and I'll be ready when I wake up the next morning to write I think the problem for a lot of writers is when you leave it I know that I find if I leave a book for a week or two it's very very hard to get back into it but if I open it even just write a couple of sentences in a day if I'm having an incredibly busy day I'm still in touch with the book mm. and it's, it's still ticking over in your subconscious like yes. you say it's it's in, I think there's parallels there with reading as well because I find that if I'm reading something and then a few days go mm. past when I haven't been able to look at it my interest definitely wanes mm. you kind of have mm. to be in it a yeah. little bit did Lou very much sit with you whilst you were sort of going about your day to day could you hear her and... yeah I could and I can remember I was I was working full-time and I can remember just sort of opening on my lunch break and looking at her and actually sort of missing her and I really missed her when I finished the book yeah. I was sort of looking around going oh where's Lou where's she gone I think that's <laughs> such a good sign I think that's the sign that you're onto something good when you feel that you are with your character mm-hmm. all the time and some of the other characters in the book are gay and again it's not always explicit sometimes it is sometimes it's not Mm -hmm. it's kind of I guess it's kind of going back to that YA thing Mm -hmm. what was why was it important for you to introduce characters of different sexualities I think it's important for children and teenagers to um, to see themselves reflected in fiction, and I think there's been quite a big um, you know movement within the children's publishing industry in the last few years where they're looking for books that, um, that do reflect different experience, and. Um, I, mean, I don't know if it was even a conscious decision. It was just sort of there was Mikey making his cakes and doing his thing, and he's at that sort of age. Uh, this is Lou's brother, Mikey, where um, where he where he is gay, but um, he's there are other people around him who are probably noticing it more than he is at this point. So he's still sort of coming to terms with his sexuality. Um, and this becomes more apparent later in the novel. And then with Faith's parents as well, I, um, Faith is a friend that Lou makes at school and um, and her parents are, are gay and, and entered into a, um, a co-parenting agreement before she was born. And again, I think I just think it's something that's, that's quite contemporary and happens. And um, I think, yeah, I just want teenagers to be able to see as much of themselves as possible reflected in fiction and not everybody comes from a, you know, comes from a family um a traditional family yeah, exactly. I suppose yeah I don't think anyone ever I think everyone thinks they don't come from a traditional family yeah. I don't think I know anybody who would look at their family and say we are completely mm. we're a Walton-esque type yep. setup and you know um what um what I was going to ask was you were saying that you missed Lou yes so I wondered whether because and you've m- mentioned your sort of second book mm-hmm. and I wonder whether firstly is Lou a character that you maybe will come back to and is is that the topic for book two 
Um, or what is it? Like- it's not the topic for book two. Book two, I won't say too much about just because it yeah. keeps changing, really. Cool. So um, <laughs> who knows what it will be? But um, but it's not Lou. Lou, yeah, I've had a few friends that have asked me that. Um, can I bring bring her back? I don't know, really. I, I sort of feel like there are a lot of characters out there that, that, that might need me. And maybe I sort of had my time with Lou. But but who knows? She she, she was great fun. Um, and I wouldn't be completely opposed to, to, to revisiting her and working with her again. It's so interesting, isn't it? The way that readers fall in love with characters and want to have them back and yes, for the writer yeah. it's very much I've told the story I've excised that mm, now mm. it's time to move on yeah. <laughs> everyone else is sitting around going bring them back yeah. Yeah. Um, now we you mentioned earlier off air um, <laughs> that it obviously you didn't start out to write a YA book it was then picked up as a YA novel mm. mainly because Lou is 13 yes. and it, that's you know, and it's, it is slightly coming of age and is, there are sort of yeah. themes of, you know, that. But, yeah. you know, it does seem a little bit frustrating that just because you're, your narrator is 13, therefore it's automatically YA. But anyway, that uh, your publisher has decided to try and cross it over into the contemporary adult um, sector. And I'm wondering if you could just tell us a little bit how that process has worked. Yeah, so, um, so I mean, you're right, there are a lot of elements in the book that are young adults sort of coming of age and best friends and coming out. Um, but, but no, I didn't set out to write it um, as young adult initially. I just I just had a voice and a character, really, and I just went from there. Um, but we, we but it came out as a YA novel, and then the publisher decided that um, that it could cross over. So something sort of similar to A Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime or The Perks of Being a Wallflower. Um, and a lot of adults were reading it, actually, and... Um, and enjoying it and um and and sort of telling us really that it wasn't just a YA novel so we decided to um to publish it with a with a new cover um and um and yeah just just try and um push it out there as a crossover novel and how have you found that experience has it been have you found that you've had attracted two very different audiences or yeah yeah it's it's amazing I mean it seems to be um that's really really nice for me is that it is a book for everyone it was featured as a, um, a grand's net summer read for example oh, and, um, is there a grand's net there is a grand's wow, net it does exist that. yeah <laughs> Love that. it makes sense <laughs> yeah um and it's really nice for me to think of you know people from yeah 13 to any age sort of reading reading the novel so it's a really nice thought absolutely it really is and i think that there's not i think the categorization is you there is sense in it yes but also it it does it can be restrictive and stop people discovering books that are going to have a really big impact on Mm, them so I think it's mm. wonderful that this book has made the jump because it really deserves to just to sort of finish us off what would be your top tips for anyone listening who wants to write either a sort of YA book Mm -hmm. or in first person and and with some comedy in it Mm, which mm. aren't always the kind of you know, it's like thrillers, are, you know, a ten and penny. We know that that market is booming and, you know, but mm. what would your advice be for somebody who's writing something that is maybe has less initial commercial appeal to get themselves out there and get published? Mm. I think um, read a lot. You can't really be a writer without reading. So read around what you want to write. If you want to write young adult, read some contemporary young adult, but also go back and read the classics. Read Adrian Mole or The Catcher in the Rye or The Outsiders. You know, look at those those oh classics. God, I love The Outsiders. Yes, this is brilliant. Yes. I've never read it. <laughs> oh my God, you need to. But Adrian Mole, I devoured and have gone back to time and time again. Yeah. 
yeah, Adrian Mole, I think, really stands the test of time. Um, so, yeah, read those, but then also have a look um, because you're going to be published, you want to be published now. So, have a look at um, what the market's doing now and what sort of stuff's coming out now, where you think, what you think your territory might be as well. I think all writers do have a kind of a territory. So, um, yeah, there's, there's this quote about sort of writers mowing the same patch of lawn over and over again. And I think it's important to try and work out, you know, what, what sort of what's my territory? Um, what sort of stuff am I going to be writing? And who's on similar territory to me? And I'm going to have a look at what they're doing. Mm. Um, and then um, just write. You just have to write. Just try and get that first draft down. Just do it every day. Um, make it a habit. And read things and listen to things that inspire you. Um, obviously, listen to this podcast. But yeah. read books about writing um, as well as reading reading um you know books that just inspire you to 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 get up in the morning when it's cold and dark and you really would not you know would rather not be doing that and get some words down on the page that's good inspirational but can i just also ask you Mm. um like what the um what you're like what what are you now writing what what are you now writing and like just yeah genre-wise sorry genre-wise genre-wise do you know at the moment um not really okay it's um just trusting it i think it I think the only thing that's similar is that it will possibly have a sort of coming of age element in it again. Um, I don't think it will be young adult. Um, I think it, but I don't want to say too much because it yeah. keeps changing. <laughs> what's, what's your background? Like, how do you like? Do you do? Have you written? Have you always been a writer? Yeah, um, yeah, I've always been a writer. So I, I mean, I guess as a child, I was always making up stories and um, quite a vivid imagination. As a teenager, I read a lot of awful poetry. Um, I had a secondary school teacher that told me I should write, and I ignored her. And then when I was about twenty-five, I began to take my writing seriously. Did some writing courses when I was living down in Brighton, and then I went to university and did creative writing, um, which I would not advise you to do. It makes you more unemployable. Um, <laughs> but um, no, it was a, it was a great thing, and it was it was a great degree. Um, and now I'm doing an MA. In creative writing. Oh, cool. Whereabouts are you doing that? At Birkbeck. Oh, okay, oh nice. we lo- Yeah, we love oh. Birkbeck yes. creative writing yes, courses. It's, it's, it's really such fun. a good thing. So you would advise somebody to maybe look at doing that if you want to get serious about your writing? I would. What it does is it, um, it, it helps with... Um, with receiving representation mm-hmm. because if an agent can see that you um, have for example an MA in creative writing it makes you look pretty serious about your work mm-hmm. um, but obviously MAs are expensive so um, if that's not for you I would advise you to join a writing group because the support and the feedback that you get from other writers um, you can also achieve from a writers group and there are plenty of writers groups all over the country um, and then you might yeah you might meet a small group of people who to share your work with and that feedback is really invaluable and that's what I've met at Birkbeck is um, obviously I've had fantastic teachers but I've also now got a a little network of um, of peers and we and we share and give feedback on each other's work and that I think is really really important. Do you know Martin Nathan? Do you know Martin? He's he's, he's, he's at Birkbeck doing a master's and he, he was at our last event he wrote a place of safety. It's a very good book. Oh, yeah. that you're going to be our December. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very good book. It's a very good book. But he, you're going to be at our December. I will event, be. Yes. Yeah, how yeah. Which is on oh. the thirteenth. Yes. Thirteenth yes. of December. Thirteenth. Yeah. Yep. And tickets are now available on the hyphen riffraff.com. Excellent. Emily, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. The Riffraff Manuscript Shakedown is the friendliest manuscript feedback service in town. And if you dream of getting published, we really recommend you check it out. I mean, we would definitely say that, but still do it. You can find all the details on our website, the-riffraff.com. The Riffraff Podcast is hosted by co-founders Amy Baker and Rosie Edwards. Come say hey at the-riffraff.com. 